What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Solid Ground Podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Larson, joined by my co-host, the Mr. Skylar Farley. Um, We're jumping in to the last book of Romans here. About to be done uh, with the book, man. It's kind of crazy. It is crazy. Mr. Skylar Farley, I feel like I need to grow a mustache to come that title <laughs> hey, to join you again. Back, we bro. did it. It was early on. Uh, but here we are, last chapter of the book. Just so you guys know, it's kind of a summary chapter. So we'll spend five, maybe 10 minutes uh, covering this chapter. Uh, but we did want to go back and just kind of provide a high level summary of the entire book of Romans, which we'll spend, you know, 15 to 20 minutes at the end of this episode, just going through some quick hits, uh, a high level apostolic view of the gospel and how it works its way into and is demonstrated through uh, a local city church. Yeah, yeah. Good. All right. Let's go ahead and jump into it. Chapter 16, verse 1 says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church in Kentre. So I'm going to say that. Uh, <laughs> so you should welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever matters she may require your help. For indeed, she has been a benefactor of many and of me also. And, uh, me and Skylar kind of discussed this beforehand. We're going to skip reading 3 to 16 so that y'all check out. Uh, a, lot <laughs> a lot of, of names uh, we can't yeah, pronounce yet. <laughs> a lot of calling out of names of people in the church and just giving greetings to them. Uh, so picking up back in verse 17, it says, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who create divisions and obstacles contrary to the teaching that you learned. Avoid them, because such people do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. And the report of your obedience has reached everyone. Therefore, I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and yet innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. It seems like this whole concept of warning the church to be aware of false prophets and false teachers yeah. uh, finds its way in so many of the epistles. Yeah. I know in like First John, I believe it's in Peter, uh, several of Paul's letters, there's this warning to avoid uh, teaching that in each of them, I believe they even talk about it sounds good, you know, smooth yeah. talk, flattering, um, but it's deceptive. And the thing about something being deceptive is you don't usually realize that you're being deceived. So the call to the church is to remain faithful to the apostolic roots of the faith. And I think what that looks like for us, uh, as much as we should study church history, uh, Lucas, I know you're like a huge fan of studying the the Reformation and kind of that period. Um, But we should, as much as we're able to try to reconnect ourselves to the earliest roots of our faith, kind of that first century period and really dive into, okay, what was, for example, their understanding of the second coming of the Lord? Uh, What was their practice um, for any number of things? The the closer we stay to the apostolic roots of our faith and as the the Lord intended it in that first century church, not that we're trying to recreate culture, uh, so to speak. We're not trying to recreate the historical period they were living in, but we're trying to have those same biblical and apostolic roots to our faith. And I think in it to the extent that we do that, uh, we do well. Yeah, no, 100 percent. I mean, I think it's really important, like when you look at this. Um, and what he's talking about wanting to preserve the gospel, wanting to preserve 
the teachings that they've been given um, to avoid all other teachings and other things that would bring about divisions or obstacles in that early church. Because you think about even the way in which like the Bible itself was, you know, passed on through the years, um, mm -hmm. just the great like focus and, and intensity they put into transcribing the text and translating mm -hmm. it across mm -hmm. languages. You know, it's often used as an argument because of how, of how sound it is for, for why the biblical is without or the bible is without error and mm -hmm. you think about for this early church like it was the same thing i mean like they were holding on to this incredible message of hope yeah. that really like as they were attempting to spread it that it was it was all it was based on eyewitness account for the most part right, right. and so like they were they were wanting to ensure that number one like the story of jesus was not aired but also right. like the theological realities that the that the person of jesus and what he did for us that his teachings now create for the life of a believer in the second covenant right yeah. uh, and so man you even look at like our world today right mm -hmm. and the the thousands hundreds if not thousands of uh erring theologies and false gospels um mm -hmm. that have come up i mean the different cults that have spun off of mm -hmm. the christian religion I mean, dude, it's, it's wild, right? Like, but but right. praise the Lord that it did make it. You know what I mean? Like, praise the Lord right. that the gospel was preserved um, yeah. and that the early church was faithful through the years to be able to bring it to us. I mean, I just got to put in a little snippet uh, before we get into um, the awesome idea of God of peace crushing Satan under his feet. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, man, like, uh, you know, we skipped over reading through these names. Um but I would encourage everyone, you know, whoever's listening, like, take a minute and just read through these, like, slowly. Because as I was uh, the other day, man, I got wrecked. Because, like, all of these people, like, this family of believers that Paul is reaching out to, giving his greetings, and, and even, like, encouraging them and the things that they're doing or they have done. It's like, all of these people, by the grace of God, held the faith. And they are the great cloud of witnesses that's talked about in Hebrews 12. It's like, it's like they are in the presence of our Lord now and, and see us and are, are cheering us on trying to get us to finish the race as well. So I don't know, man, it's just a sick picture that I feel like I got as I was reading through those. So man, awesome. Spend some time reading those, those hard to read names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So just jumping into verse 20. Uh, which is such a powerful verse. You're going to read it again. It says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Mm -hmm. And uh, a couple of things to pull out here. First, it's God who's going to crush Satan. Yeah. Uh, but he's going to do it under the feet of his church. And yeah. I believe it's hearkening back to Genesis 3.15, which I'm sure we've talked about before, uh, that out of the seed of the woman was going to come one who's going to crush the head of the serpent. Mm -hmm. And we know that it's ultimately Jesus who disarmed. And by disarmed, heard it said before that it means that Jesus stripped the powers and the principalities, including Satan, of their governmental authority. Yeah. Uh, and he made a public, public spectacle, which I believe is in Colossians 2.15, uh, through the cross. And uh, so that we know that in this present age, and especially uh, as the day of the Lord draws near, uh, Satan is roaming around like a lion seeking whom he may devour, uh, and his time is limited, so he's, he's raging right now. But we know that at the end of all things, at the end of the millennial reign, Jesus is going to come and ultimately destroy Satan 
in the lake of eternal fire. And I just, yeah. I love this picture um, of God crushing Satan under their feet. Because yeah. um, even if you follow the seed, um, which is kind of cool, and I, I know we're going to go back through Romans in a second, so I don't want to review too much right now. But we talked about Abraham being the father of faith. And uh, those who are true children of Abraham are those who possess the faith that he had, and they're credited with the same righteousness that he possessed. But Abraham was also carrying the seed uh, who would become Messiah, who was ultimately at the cross, going to crush the head of the serpent. Yep. And now uh, we, we no longer have the seed of Adam in us. We now have the seed of Christ. We have this new life, this new nature, this new uh, righteousness. And now, so through his uh, physical witness in the earth, God is currently crushing Satan underneath our feet. Uh, but he's already been stripped of his authority, which is just so powerful to think about at the cross. Uh, so we, there's a song we sing here at the, or our church that says it's a fixed fight. Satan is defeated. Mm -hmm. And I love that idea of it being a fixed fight. Yeah. He's a defeated foe already. Uh, and in this present age, God is crushing him under our feet, but it's ultimately going to be God. who's going to have the all in all victory when he throws him not into a temporal, but an eternal lake of fire. Mm, so good. Just a step back for a minute. Verse 19, yeah, I think yeah. is just super dope there at the end. Right. Like, right, right. man, just, just a phrase to live by, like mm. be wise about what is good and yet mm. innocent about what is evil. It's like, right. know deeply the things that are good or the things of God. Know deeply mm. the things of God, but know mm. very, very little about the things that are evil. It's like, right. man, let that just be a, a way of life to be walked out in which you just, right. and like, things that are evil. It's like, it's like when you're, uh, like when you're in high school or something, I don't know. Maybe other people can't relate to this, but like for myself, I'm about like, to bring up the same example. I don't even know where you're going, but I think I'm about <laughs> the same example. We'll continue. <laughs> but it's like maybe like people are talking about like some TV show or yeah. or a movie or something that's that's probably a little bit too mature uh, for y'all's age, or even if it's a video game, I don't know, something like that. And it's like I don't know. I always I feel like I always was this kid. It's like I didn't know what the heck they were talking about. Um, or maybe it's or maybe it's some video on the internet or or something like that that's like going around and it's like you're innocent to that thing, right? Like yeah. all of the culture yeah. around yeah. you knows about it. They're talking about it, and it's like, man, I, you you almost feel out of the loop in those like in those scenarios. Yeah. But it's yeah. like, man, that that should be a joyous thing for the believer that you are out of the loop when it comes to things that are evil to the things of sin. Hmm. Um, so yeah, man, I just think I was literally so, thinking the exact same thing, and it's like. Yeah. In those moments, the fleshly desire is to awaken curiosity and to want yep. to find out. Mm. And then it's like, oh, I wish I had never known. I wish I could unlearn this thing. Yeah. And I think the call is to have a healthy curiosity to deepen, uh, as you said, in maturity and wisdom about those things that are good. It, yeah. Somewhere else in the Bible, I can't think of the exact address. It says, uh, find out what pleases the Lord and do it. You know, it's like yeah. man, search the things of God, find out what pleases him, mature in those things, grow in those things. But so often our tendency is to drift towards the low-hanging uh, mm. bad fruit, you know, and we just drift yeah. towards what's easier, what's natural based on the society around us. But the call yeah. is not to be conformed, yeah. but to be transformed in the renewing of our mind. So we've got to move so, upwards. Yeah, so good. All right, man. Let's finish out. Verse 21 says, Timothy, my coworker, and Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my fellow countrymen, greet you. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus, greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus, 
according to the revelation of the mystery kept silent for long ages, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures, according to the command of the eternal God to advance the obedience of faith among the Gentiles, among all the Gentiles, to the only wise God through Jesus Christ, to him be glory forever. Amen. Dude, that doxology, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Before we get deep in that, when we hit verse 22, you know, I just felt someday when you and Maddie get married and have your first kid, I think it needs to be named Tertius, bro. Tertius, dude. (laughs) Never met a Tertius in my life. (laughs) Dude, you call him Tert for short. There you go. (laughs) Tert the tank, let's go. (laughs) All right, so verse 22, just as we jump into this, uh, a simple summary, I'll let Lucas go deeper. It's God who's going to establish the church in Rome, both individually and corporately. And he's going to do so by giving the Gentiles the ability to come into the obedience that is through faith. And at the end of the day, God is going to get all the glory through his church. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, I think this is the, I mean, this doxology is the perfect segue into yeah. just walking back through this book because, man, it's like everything is like coming from the grace of God through his power, him making these things known, revealing these mysteries. All like to the the advancement of obedience of faith among the Gentiles and all of it is to the praise and glory of the only wise God through Christ. Um, So, yeah, man, I guess as you know, we go back through here, you know, want to try and keep it concise. And Mm -hmm. for anyone who maybe hasn't listened to any of the other episodes or uh, maybe this is the first one you're listening to. First of all, uh, read the book of Romans. Uh, Mm -hmm. Second. Maybe listen to the podcast. <laughs> uh, go back through the episodes that that we've got on the different mm-hmm. chapters. Um, but yeah, man, I guess we'll just start kind of like super high up. I mean, give us some background on like where this book, like where this book is coming in to the storyline of the early church, and and uh, yeah, what's going on? Yeah, so we see from this last chapter, which we actually just finished with. This is obviously. Uh, a letter from Paul to the church in Rome. It's a city church. Uh, so it's a church scattered throughout homes and it's comprised of Jew and Gentile. And as we've talked about in previous episodes, that created some tension and some division uh, based on a Roman edict. Uh, many of the Jews living in the land had actually been forced out of the land. They'd been exiled and then allowed to come back in. So during that time, the Gentile church had grown exponentially and Jews are coming back kind of in reverse order, uh, back into predominantly Gentile churches. And because of their cultural differences and some of the things uh, that the Jews were hanging on to from their Hebrew roots had been abandoned by or never introduced in the first place to the Gentile community. And as with anybody, when you go to uh, somebody else's house and they have different uh, customs than you're familiar with, it can feel a little awkward. It can create some tension. And that's exactly what's playing out on a large scale in this church. And Paul is reintroducing the gospel to show them on a practical level how it works into their specific situations. And he does a really good job apostolically (laughs) reproclaiming the gospel, which is why some have viewed it uh, as Paul's systematic theology, which I think it gives a good glimpse of that. But I think we see from the last five chapters that it wasn't actually uh, what he was trying to do so much mm-hmm. as he was trying to use the gospel to knead it into situations yeah. and through them viewing their situations in light of the gospel, give them a better perspective. No, facts. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, you know, he starts off that process, mm-hmm. 
you know, in the first few chapters, it's like setting the grounds for the gospel, right? It's like, right. And it was, it was setting a level ground, right? So he essentially, um, if you look, you know, chapter one, verses 18 through 32, I mean, dude just hmm. brings down the hammer, brings down the gavel upon humanity, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what she's saying, you know, that, that, that people have, have walked away from God, are, are full of sin, chasing after different desires of their hearts and of their flesh towards sexual impurity, um, you know, worshiping things that were created instead of the creator. Um, ultimately, just this idea of, of every person in creation has turned their back on God, right? Um, you know, full of unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness, full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, malice, gossip, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, hmm. disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And it's like, man, <laughs> and I think it's, it's literally like, I don't think that any individual can't find who they were if they're a believer in this or who they are if they're are an unbeliever in this, you know right, what I'm saying? Right. Um, and I think that's his point is is he's just saying man is utterly and totally depraved. Mm-hmm. Um, like before they're standing with God, they they can do nothing. Like they right. they are you know against the judge of this world, um, and they will be judged for it. Right, which is kind of where he continues to go. Um, but as you mentioned in the intro. Um, or in your, you know, your kind of overarching summary is, is there, there was this dissension that he was addressing between mm-hmm. Jew and Gentile. And I, and I think he takes a minute to even be able to address their individual depravities as mm-hmm. people groups in regard to the law. Uh, mm-hmm. So you want to walk through kind of how he did that? Yeah, so I think that as he kind of works through, as Lucas was talking about, just all people's depravity before God, um, I think he shifts towards talking more about uh, sins that might have been common in the Gentile world, a little bit more, a little bit more foreign to the Jew. And if he didn't continue on, it could have created pride and a sense of self-righteousness in the Jew, which already existed to some extent because they had been given the law. uh, They had the book of the prophets. And... There's a self-righteousness that came with uh, possessing the law. Right. And he begins to say, are you who have the law but don't obey it any better off? And he basically starts to say the law actually is going to magnify your sinfulness before God. And what we see is that he puts both people groups, as Lucas used the word uh, or the phrase levels the playing field. He unrobes both the Jew and the Gentile before a holy God. And as he said, the, the gavel comes down. And at the end of Romans 3, he's basically going to say, look. Uh, all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God, Jew and Gentile. And it kind of brings everyone into uh, an acknowledgement of their need for the gospel and their humble starting place in the faith that whether you had the law or you feel like you have an excuse because you were never given the law, all of you are guilty and therefore you need the way of redemption through the gospel. Yeah. yeah. Which then he's going to paint the picture in it. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Lucas. No, I was just going to say no. Continue with that thought. He is going to take the picture of, of what that gospel looks like. But man, so uh, it really is a beautiful picture, though, because it's like setting that ground, <laughs> like mm-hmm. leveling that playing field, like smashing everyone to bits. OK, right. it, it, it creates an invitation. 
it's hmm. like because it's like it leaves you at a place of okay well then what right it's like it leaves you at a place of of wanting of of desiring to be taken from that place um uh, and that's exactly what he begins to do right so he you know finishes with the statement verse 23 for all of sin and fall short of the glory of god uh, and then he turns and he said, they are justified freely by his grace through the hmm. redemption that is in Christ. God presented him as an atoning sacrifice in his blood received through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. Right. Hmm. And so I think he then begins to break down like really the idea of this atoning sacrifice, um, yep. what it means for us and how it's attained uh yeah so he's going to talk about basically again he brings us uh face to face with our need for justification which is we talked about in previous episodes is a legal term right standing and that none of us because of our righteous deeds uh, they don't add up to enough they don't take away the stain of our guilt and shame so he talks about the atoning sacrifice of christ as being substitutionary for us and justification by faith and he talks about that being from uh, Adam being the father of faith who was credited as righteousness because he believed in God. And in the same way, we inherit righteousness. It's credited to us as righteousness when we put our faith in God's son and what he did for us on the cross. Mm-hmm. And this is a gift from God so that none may boast in his presence. This is the free yeah. gift of God. This is not based on our effort. This is not based on our merit. And uh, I really feel like um, one, Lucas, as you were just talking through the first three chapters, imagine if the manuscript we had been given was incomplete and we only had Romans <laughs> 1 through 3. I mean, could you imagine, like, it just didn't get preserved through history, so we only got Romans 1 through 3. Right. Like, what just a, uh unsatisfying and discouraging place we would be left at. But thankfully, the story doesn't stop there. And I would say that while... Uh, an understanding of our sinfulness before God is absolutely necessary. And that was one of our major takeaways as we work through the book of Romans, that you can't preach the full gospel without addressing the sinfulness of God, of man uh, and God's uh, need as a just God to pour wrath out on sin. Mm-hmm. But I would say as much as that's a major theme, this idea of grace undergirds the entire book, yeah. not only for the gateway to salvation, but also for our continual sanctification and being made like Christ all throughout the life of a saint. And uh, I was just reading the other day that it's not only our sinfulness before God that leads to our ultimate humility, but the grace we've received from God is the ultimate humbling factor uh, Mm -hmm. because it's ongoing and it's not just always looking back at how bad you were, but it's also recognizing how good God has been to you and how much you don't deserve all the goodness that he's poured into your life and the gifts Mm -hmm. that he's given you. And that is the ultimate uh, source of humility as we enter into the presence of God. Oh, 100%. And I think, man, it's like, like you're saying, like the ultimate source of humility, it just brings you to the place of realizing that there's, I mean, there's nothing you can do right. to gain or merit salvation. And I think really right. in the context of what Paul is writing here, I think it was really important that he laid that out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think more so for the Jewish audience that he had, mm-hmm. um, because you think about like the Gentiles, it was like they had nothing to lose or they had everything to lose. And then now we're off incredible gift and it was like mm. well yeah like i'll take it right you know what i mean whereas right. for the for the jew they were almost having to in order to believe in the gospel like they were really having to have their minds shifted towards mm-hmm. the truth of everything that they had believed because i think that there was some um like misbelief or misunderstanding about 
the mm-hmm. you know the prophecies and the things that were to come in the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there were a lot of things they had to lay down. And I think one of those was like a feeling of um, you know like self righteousness or trying to work your way into mm-hmm. righteousness. Um, and and I think we see Paul through the line of grace and through the idea of righteousness through faith or by faith, uh, you know, begins to dismantle that for the good <laughs> of these believers, right? So and he, he walks through an example of, you know, Abraham um, mm-hmm. being the, the forefather of faith, according mm-hmm. to the flesh. Um, and he begins to walk out, like walk through the promises, like the, the covenant that God had established right. with him. Um, and he essentially comes to this point in saying that Abraham was justified before this action of circumcision. Right, right. right so right. it wasn't it wasn't the action or the work that Abraham um, did. It was before that, that he was counted as one who was righteous, that was counted mm-hmm. as, and that was through his faith in God, through his faith in the promises that God was offering him. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, even pulling back to what he says in is it chapter two or chapter three, it's like that circumcision is not something of the flesh, but it's of the heart, yeah. right? Like that's the yeah. whole goal, even in that action. And so, yeah. and it's just like tearing down that wall of self-righteousness. And I think even for us, like we, you know, I think there's so many times where we try to work out our salvation and we should be working on salvation. What I'm saying is we try to work out our own righteousness, trying to think that we can gain something or earn something through the actions that we do um, as it attains to righteousness, but we can't. It's, it all comes through the grace of God by faith. Yeah. Yeah. And just on that note, you know, as Lucas was talking about the shift in the thinking for the Jew, I think even as Abraham, or sorry, not Abraham, but Paul is using the example of Abraham, he's showing the Jews that he's not getting them necessarily to believe in a new religion as much as he's showing them the roots of their own faith. Right. And the same thing that, uh, you know, Jewish, uh, uh, the Jewish mindset in this, in that, uh, generation was prone to do and kind of drift in the direction Lucas was talking about towards striving or their own effort uh, or self-righteousness is the same thing that honestly all of us are tempted to do in Christianity as well mm-hmm. is to say, oh, I forgot that this began in grace by faith. And uh, we're tempted to take it up in our own strength, effort, and yeah. ability and end up very frustrated in the process. So he's going to shift his focus a little bit from this example uh, as we work through the book of Romans from Abraham, he starts talking about the old way of life in Adam, yeah. where we inherited this sin nature, and the fruit of the sin nature was death. And he says, from the time of Adam until now, uh, all have died. Mm-hmm. All, physically speaking, have died. But the new way of life in Christ, you have inherited a new nature, and the fruit of this is eternal life and righteousness yeah. in Christ. So just as you once inherited a sin nature, and it was natural for you uh, to go against God's intended design. Uh, now you have inherited the righteousness in Christ and you're going to walk in a new way. Yep. Uh, so he's going to bring us into what that looks like. Yeah. And so we see in Romans six that, you know, this was a slavery that we once yep. walked in, yep. right? Like that we were enslaved to sin, but now we have been made alive or free from slavery. Now enslaved mm-hmm. to another in Christ, right? Um, mm-hmm. saying that we've been buried in our baptism, um, with Christ and raised in life with him. Hmm. Um, and man, I just think it's like, this is like, it's just portraying this idea that this is the new life, right? Like you were mm-hmm. once 
this individual, like you said, you know, the fruit of the tree of Adam was death and sin, but the fruit of the tree and life in Christ is eternal life, right? Mm. And it's like, as you, like, it is not just as it pertains mm. to, like, your eternal dwelling place, um, mm. but I think it's also the life that's lived out now. Yeah. Because uh, I think the point that Paul is trying to get across is that you are a new creation. Like you have a yes. new identity. There's something that's actually changed in you as the Spirit of God works in you. Yeah. And I think something I've been challenged with recently and trying to think through, and I know I'm not there personally, and I don't know too many people who would say that they're, they're fully there yet. But just imagine for a moment how easy it was, whatever your vice was, and it doesn't have to be something really bad, but let's just say it was language uh, or disposition towards just being negative or uh, criticizing people, how naturally you would slide into that. And we'll just call that the uh, the old man, the the Adam that was in you, this the seed or the sin, the sin nature that was inside of you, how natural and normal your disposition was to slide towards that. Yes. Well, how much more now that the life of Christ in us, should we slide towards the fruit of the spirit? Should we slide towards that being not something we have to work up within ourselves as much as it just flows from us in our thought life in every aspect of who we are. And I think that that even depends on faith. Do I believe in the promise of this new life that Christ now inhabits me, Mm -hmm. uh, that I'm connected to the vine and that he wants to produce that life in me more than I believe in the power of sin that once ruled in my heart. And I believe that what God wants to do in all of us is actually make us that naturally disposed to choose the things of the spirit um, and it not, I'm not saying that we won't always have to dismember things, that there's not going to be a warfare as long as mm-hmm. we're in this more. But I do believe the more that we grow like Christ, it's not just a white knuckle, uh, bear down, uh, try as hard as you possibly can. I believe that as much as I once was disposed towards sin, I can now be disposed that much towards righteousness as I yield and submit, fully surrender yeah. my life to the Lordship of Jesus. And I think that's the goal. True freedom and liberation uh, in my will, my desire, and the ability to perform it, uh, being conformed to his image and his likeness. Yeah, no, that's so good. I love that you're pulling that out too, because I mean, I even think as he continues with another illustration of what that new life looks like, as he brings out mm-hmm. the illustration of marriage, right? And us being, yeah. you know, a, a, a woman being legally bound to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, then she's released mm-hmm. from the law regarding her husband. And he says, this was what it was like for you, that you were enslaved, or sorry, you were married to sin, right? But you died <laughs> and now you have made alive in a new body and now been married to Christ. And I love you using mm. the phrase that you belong to another. And just within that picture mm. of marriage, as you're talking about, like our desires for God increasing um, mm. and us being, you know, more bent towards his ways than the ways of our old self. You think about within a marriage, uh, maybe someone who is at like a five-year point in a marriage may have um, like their eyes get caught by other, like let's talk about like a guy, right? Their guys mm-hmm. eyes might get caught by another woman as she walks by, right? Even if it's just for a second, right? Maybe it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, a sin in him still maybe desiring after other people or his flesh in him still desiring after other people. But then you think mm-hmm. about someone who's been married, you know, they're in their 80s and they're married for 50, you know, 60 years. Mm-hmm. And it's like, the man's only desire is a sacrificial love for his wife. He will choose right. her countless times over and over, um, over any other person or any other thing. I mean, I just think that's the same way that it's meant to be for us with Christ hmm. is that as we, like you were saying, as you, as we submit to him and to the hmm. spirit's work in us, 
uh, that we would continually just gain a desire and a, and a bending towards him and his ways over the things of our old flesh and of the world. Man, it's so good. So as we move into Romans 7 um, and the beginning of Romans 8, I was telling Lucas about something that and I'll just provide a brief summary here. Paul's talking about this struggle. He knows what he wants to do, but he finds it difficult to actually carry it out. It's creating great tension in his personal life. And remember, he's writing to the church in Rome. So probably a, a struggle that's common to uh, many within the church. And mm-hmm. reading this book recently by Andrew Murray, and he talks about how God works change in the life of the saint in two steps. And first, he gives the believer the will uh, to do what pleases him. And then he shows him his complete impotence to do it on his own. (laughs) So basically, he shows that this is impossible in your strength. And that's basically where Paul is brought to at the end of Romans 7, where he says, what a wretched man I am. And maybe you're there today. Uh, There's many times where I feel like the Lord is trying to work something in my life. Let's say God's trying to make you more humble. If you ever try to be more humble in your own strength, uh, a year into it, let me tell you, you'll be more aware of how prideful Mm -hmm. you are. And you'll have a spotlight on all those areas in your life and feel as if you've made very little uh, forward progress as you've looked within yourself. So you're at this place like, oh, what a wretched man I am. And he asked this question, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? But we have to hear his question to his own misery uh, and to his own question. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus, our Lord. God doesn't leave us at the place of impotence. He takes us into the life in the spirit. And that's yeah. the natural transition to the beginning of Romans 8, as he says, I've found a new way yeah. uh, to experience life in Christ. And it's by the power of the spirit. And I really believe that we don't experience this new life in the spirit until we've come to the end of ourselves, our own vain effort, striving. It doesn't mean that there's not effort applied, but it's effort through the grace of God. And Lucas and I, as we were talking earlier, it's not just, again, grace that's the gateway to salvation. Because mm-hmm. obviously, hopefully all of us realize, and if you've been with us on this journey, you cannot save yourself, mm-hmm. but no more can you make yourself like Jesus. Yeah. Uh, it's a, literally a supernatural task to be made and conform to the image of Christ, yeah. which requires uh, the power of the Spirit and the grace of God continually imparted into your heart and washed yeah. over your life. And I think that's what he's really referring to at the beginning of Romans 8 here is God is showing him a new way by the power of the Spirit at the end of himself uh, to live out the reality of being a new creation and not just be frustrated with his inability. And if we don't get that, what we end up doing is we see, oh, well, Paul struggled and Paul was a saint. And therefore we write it off as an excuse and we give up on our attempt to actually uh, experience the righteousness that is in Christ for the believer. Mm. Yeah, man. Uh, grace is a twofold gift. Yeah, uh, It is the undeserved breaking of our chains to death. Um, as well as the power to break the chains of sin in our lives, uh, in which you know that we are now not obligated to the flesh to live according to its desires, but we, right. we now live according to the spirit, putting to death the deeds mm. of the body. Um, and man, I love you know that's unto our identity as believers, right? Like that's mm. that's who we are now. Now living in the power of God's grace and mm. by his spirit, we are mm. now sons and daughters of God. Like we Amen. we have been adopted into the family. Um, yeah. and I just have, and get to call him Abba, an affectionate fatherly mm. term. Um, yeah, man. It's, it's yeah, and thing. just as we, so we get to that reality and, you know, he's sharing this with the church in Rome and at, if you were left at that juncture, and this is all you had of the manuscript, you'd say, well, I have everything I need. 
but then you'd be left and confronted with your present sufferings and maybe yep. persecution in the church or, uh, you know, just circumstantial issues that you're still dealing with in life and saying, well, what is this? Is this yeah. all a lie? Because I'm still struggling. And Paul brings us into the groaning of the present age, uh, which is unto the revelation of the sons and daughters of the Most High at the resurrection of the dead. At the re And we have to get this at the return of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus. Uh, when he restores all things and he talks about the earth is groaning, uh, the spirit within you is groaning. Uh, we ourselves are groaning. It's the Maranatha cry. Come, Lord Jesus, restore all things, set everything right. And then he talks about despite all these things, despite the groaning, uh, despite the, the weakness, despite the tension, despite the uh, opportunities for discouragement in the flesh, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. Mm -hmm. And none of these things that we're facing, no power from above or below, uh, nothing yeah. demonic or angelic, nothing uh, in earth can separate us from the love of God, which is this beautiful reality. And then Lucas, he's going to make a really crazy statement at the beginning of Romans 9 and, and kind of just go into that summary of Romans 9 through 11 and where he takes us. Yeah, so, man, I think that he takes the reality that nothing can separate us from the love of God uh, in at the end of chapter eight, straight into chapter nine. Uh, mm. And like you said, makes this wild statement of saying that he wishes that he could be cut off from Christ mm. for the sake of his Israelite brothers. Mm. Um, and the reason that he makes this point is because I think at, again, following his statement about that, nothing can take us away from the love of Christ, following the, the realities that he laid out about, you know, faith by or sorry, righteousness by faith, and that this was the entire purpose of the things that happened with Abraham. It's it's what's being played out through the persons, the you know the, yeah. the heads of man of Adam and of Christ. Um, that it is righteousness by faith through grace. Yeah. Um, that now we come to this issue in which, well, why is it that God hasn't saved His people? The Israelites like why is it that so many Israelites have turned away like why is it that that this gospel is difficult for them to believe because I like we were saying earlier like I really think it would have been um and I think even the way in which Christ went about his ministry and the things that he said about certain cities would have proved that to be true as well mm -hmm. uh and so I think there just would have been this question upon the minds of if not the Gentiles definitely the Jews that like mm -hmm. why are the Israelites not saved why has has god mm -hmm. failed in these things right. um his purpose in 9 through 11 is to to flesh that out and say no god is faithful like he still right. is going to complete these things and he does that through uh you know walking through the election of israel as a people group from the mm -hmm. beginning um, and then where he's taking them that's not just a line of blood but it's meant to be a line of faith um, and that there is a, a sovereignty to all of mm -hmm. this is being worked mm -hmm. out that, man, like we don't understand. And I think he was trying to let them know that like, you're not necessarily going to understand it. Um, that God has chosen who his elect will be. God has chosen who his, uh, sons and daughters will be before the beginning of time. Um, but he will be faithful to bring about Israel into, uh, into belief in the gospel and into the fold. Right. And so he talks about like, where the then you talked about like where the Gentiles fall into that right being uh, grafted into this tree of faith, 
um, which is what comes from Abraham, the father of faith, through the Israelite line, and it's where Jesus came from, right? And so just, you know, uh, aspiring the, the Gentiles to to give honor and and respect to the Israelite brother, but also I think to be be praying for them, to be wishing that they would yeah. have their salvation. Um, and man, there's just, there's, there's so much fulfillment in the purposes and plans of God that come through the line of Israel. Like mm-hmm. he, like, and again, this is the point of him taking this turn was that God is working things out for this people group, for this nation. It is a part of his greater plan. It's, it's, it's part of the reason that he did everything that he did in his son, Jesus. Uh, and yeah. Yeah. And just a comment on that there, we talked about in the episode where we had Pastor Nathan on as a guest, he used the illustration, if you were to drop, drop a rock in a puddle, the mm-hmm. ripple would make its way out to the outer edges and then work its way back to where it started. And that's what Paul is basically saying is happening with the gospel. And we have to remember there wasn't a full sale rejection. Sometimes we read the Jews right. in the New Testament. We need to understand it's typically talking about Jewish leadership, not the collective uh or entirety of the Jewish people, because Paul himself is a Jew. All of the 12 apostles were Jews. Um, Jesus was a Jew. Uh, Many who were scattered out of Jerusalem and out of Judea, who took the gospel to the Gentiles, were all Jews. Um, And much of the early church was composed of Jewish people. So there wasn't a full sale. And he reminds them that there's a remnant even now that believes, Mm -hmm. but there's been in large part a national hardening. But it's God's plan that one day when the gospel reaches the ends of the earth, and the fullness of the Gentiles, I believe both quantitatively and qualitatively, they, yeah. they reach a maturity. There's going to be a ripple effect that's going to make its way all the way back to Jerusalem, where this whole thing is going to crescendo at the end of the age, uh, which is why we also see so much drama and tension around Jerusalem. Yeah. Uh, because while Satan is not omniscient, he's able to read the Bible and he understands what many believers don't, that this whole thing is going to wrap up largely around Jerusalem and the people of Israel and Jesus coming back to set his foot on the Mount of Olives and walk in through uh, the gates of Jerusalem to set up his throne. Yeah. So uh, Romans 12, 1, where, so he's given us this high level view of the gospel, and then he's going to start to make it practical yeah. and uses the first two verses to talk about in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and mm-hmm. perfect will. And the next, really, uh, chapters 12 through 16 are going to need this gospel message uh, into the dough of their local community and show them how these gospel realities that they've had a high-level view of uh, affect what they're supposed to and called to demonstrate uh, through the city church of Rome. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, he takes literally, I think he takes that into almost all the practicalities of life. Uh, but if not, man, I think that you just take that statement in 12, one and two and yeah. saying your life is meant to be a living sacrifice yes. to God, an acceptable yes. form of true worship. Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by renewing your mind, be transformed by the living out of life in the spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he takes that to ways in which that we're meant to function with our gifts in the body of believers, how we're supposed mm-hmm. to function in regards to our brothers and sisters and loving them well and honoring and respecting um, others and, and our honor and respect of the state authorities and the city, you know, city's authorities and people in leadership 
positions and then talking about going low in humility and and love and servitude and not being a stumbling block toward brothers and sisters of lesser faith or those that um, take up disputable matters such as in this context eating and drinking or uh, honoring certain days as more holy than others essentially just laying down this law of loving others more than your preferences um, towards things that aren't we talked about like primary secondary and tertiary theological ideas right things that aren't that are on that tertiary level um, and we you know we, we talked about like even applications to our day and age and, and I think one of those is like drinking alcohol is right like if if a brother stumbles over that has a hard time in doing that and so therefore abstains from it um, you know, in their presence, you should love them enough not to do it, right? So that you don't make them stumble, right? So just simple things like that. But it's like that's the that's the life of one whose whose life is laid down and sacrificed to the Lord, who hmm. understands their position and who they're hmm. supposed to be. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Yes, and I would just say, you know, as we get ready to conclude, that what we can take away while our cultural setting is very different from this first century uh, church in Rome, that one takeaway from the Book of Romans. Uh, sound doctrine, uh, get a, a fuller understanding of the gospel, but don't stop at theology. Make sure that you the, yes. the way that you view the gospel is not just a story that's in addition to your life, but that it frames uh, your entire life and existence according to gospel realities, because that's part of that last chapter that we read in Romans 16, that now to him who is able to establish, establish, make you stand in yeah. uh establish you in accordance with my gospel and he's calling it my gospel in the beginning he says it's god's gospel but basically it's the message entrusted to him is what he's saying yeah. in accordance with the eternal gospel the eternal plans and purposes of god now being revealed um man to to understand that this is more than a story the gospel is more than a story yes it is a moment in history it's something that happened uh it's still unfolding um in in lives but we need to let our whole lives and existence in our local communities be framed by gospel realities. Yeah, and as we see the way that Paul addressed local church issues, we need to get good again at saying, taking society and rather than looking at the gospel through the lens of society, we need to look at society and contemporary local church issues through the lens of the gospel. And I think that that's maybe one, aside from sound systematic theology, I think, which for sure, uh, brush up on that, and all of yes. us can stand to grow much stronger in those foundations. But I think the other major takeaway is learning to look at society and contemporary issues through a gospel-shaped lens and not wow. vice versa. Yeah, so good. Bro, I'm about to pull out some Paul Tripp quotes, bro. <laughs> Do it. Man, <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of the things that Paul Tripp, my, uh, my, my stashed father, said, uh, <laughs> and I think, man, I, all jokes aside, seriously, I think Skylar, brother, you're so right. Uh, I think that we should take this this word given to us um, by the Lord, the words of God, and like I think we should study these things that the Spirit guided Paul to lay out um, these theologies to set a foundation in our lives. Like I think they should be a rock for us to stand on um, when the ways of this life come against you. Know, even as you were talking about in Romans eight, as as we go through suffering in this life, and man, even if it's not persecution, like life can just be really hard. 
um, you know, there's things that come up that that can just really like test us and try us. And I think for us to rest on a a, a salvation like ours, right, to rest on an assurance that God is working all things out together for our good, that he is going to conform us into the image of his son. Man, like those are things that we should bank on. And I think even <laughs> having a, a proper understanding of who we are as humans uh, that we get from chapters one through three, that we like, I think we should be able to we we should take time to look back at who we once were, uh, who we were enslaved to the things of our flesh and of sin in order to gain again a proper understanding of who Christ is in our lives and the things that he's done to know our true identity as sons of God. And I think that we should even, we should know the plans and purposes of God, that his will that he's carrying out um, through the ages and, and into the future as we live it out by grace. Um, but I think you're so right that as we look at like 12 through 15, uh, we don't necessarily, although I think there's a lot of things that that carry over into right, our right. culture, right? It is a different time and culture. And I think that we have to approach that appropriately and realizing that the goal of this, regardless of the culture, is take the gospel, let it shine through your life because it does. <laughs> there, there is no culture. There is no thing that it doesn't shine through. I love, I've been, like I said, going to bring up some Paul Tripp here. I've been listening to him recently and, uh, one thing he said, he said, my greatest zeal in life is to take theologies from the scriptures and tie a core down to our lives so that we may live it out. Theology is not an end in itself. All theology is meant to be a means to an end. The end is a radically transformed life. All theology is meant to change you. If your theology doesn't change you, then you either have bad theology or you don't really believe it. There's a violence to theology because it's meant to decimate where you're living and rebuild you in a different way. Hmm. I think that we will <laughs> be so beyond remiss um, to just think that the gospel is an incredible story about a savior uh, who died for us, or to think the gospel is just a, a pass on our sins, a gracious gift to get us to heaven. Um, because man, it is so much more than that. It, it offers up an identity a new personhood to be lived out, um, new ways to to think in everyday life, new mm. things to, that are meant to be worked out uh, mm. with your body, mind, and soul. Uh, and man, I think it's so important that we understand it and know that because, I mean, that's like, as we, I think you mentioned this, but as you get to the, the end of this letter and, um, you know, Paul's doxology here is, is it's all meant to be to the glory of God. Well, it's like That's right. That's the glory right. of God is had in our lives when the gospel becomes applicable, when it changes us at our core and we begin to live out lives that are bent on his glory. Yeah. Amen. Hmm. Well, awesome stuff, I think that we're done with the book of Romans. Crazy. I'll tell you what, we made it. <laughs> Man, thank y'all so much for uh, just journeying through this with us. I know that I, uh, have been sharpened and encouraged greatly by doing this brother and i appreciate you for doing it with me and man i guess we'll have to figure out where we're going next that's right we'll see all right y'all grace and peace